0: Hey I'm Scott Petrick. Welcome to another episode of Brown Zone Zone Coverage Podcast. I'm joined once again by good buddy Dave Chodosky from the WKYC Morning News. I know you've been really busy Dave with a ton of stuff. You're working on some good stories. So thanks for taking time to talk some Browns with me. Um, Are you ready?
1: I am absolutely and I want to thank you. I I saw you retweeted a few of my uh stories that uh, i've had out this week uh you know emotional peace with my sister uh she lost her son back in 2016 and you know scott that was a crazy year for me following the calves and indians all over the country and i had to make a trip down to florida for the final time to see my nephew he was only 20 years old he passed away from cancer and she does something now called place of possibility and project parent and is helping other families dealing with children on hospice and much more. I mean, it's a, it's a very, uh, large amount of things she does. And, um, you know, I, I featured that on our morning show in the last uh, two days, we featured a family from Bay village, uh, the Bauer family and a 19 year old, you know, he's dealing with a very deadly and rare cancer right now. So it was just uh, you know, she's helping these families and um yeah, I have just been working on that. I appreciate you retweeting that and uh yeah, a lot
0: going on. So
1: um
0: emotional story, but one that needed to be told. Oh, there's no doubt. Yeah, that's some that's some powerful stuff. Um uh, yeah, I'm glad you were able to do all that, Dave.
1: Yeah, it it's it, you know it's an it's a nice um avenue to be able to tell that story and uh it's also great to be talking sports, so let's do that with the uh Browns here. And uh, I don't think it's as busy as it's been, but as we all know, it's, there's always plenty going on with the Browns. What's going on with the OTAs right now? Because, you know, just from a casual fan looking in, it it looked to be that, you know, most teams were kind of stepping away, but then it's like, wait a minute, the chiefs are out there practicing. That's the team we're playing in week one. Should the Browns be practicing a little bit more than just virtually?
0: Yeah, there's a lot to kind of cover with this, and it feels like we've talked about it because it's been an issue and it's been kind of lingering since J.C. Tretter made a big deal about it right at the end of the season, talking about not have not attending uh, the offseason voluntary program. Um, so let's start with this, that the Browns, or the league, can have OTAs, organized team activities, starting this week. And there's three weeks of OTAs Leading into a mandatory mini camp scheduled in June. I think the Browns are June 15th to 17th. It's that week uh, for the mandatory mini camp. So, but the Browns are not having traditional OTAs. That's what everybody's in the building, or it's they're still voluntary. The OTAs are still voluntary, but normally it's a bunch of guys in the building. They practice three days. Media goes out there for at least one of the days. And the Browns are not having it this week like that. They are still doing all their meetings virtually like they have since I want to say the off season program started April 17th, virtually. Um, they did some, they've held some on-field work. I don't even want to call them practices because it's offense and defense is separate from each other. Um, limited, highly limited number of guys there. You know, I know that the rookies stayed around after the rookie minicamp. um, And there might be some veterans trickling in some guys who are rehabbing injuries can show up and it's individual drills. The weight room's open. If guys want to work in the weight room. So it's not traditional OTAs. And yes, you can contrast that with the chiefs who Patrick Mahomes is there. I think uh, most of the guys are there. Andy Reid's happy that the guys are there, but, and I understand the contrast and I even understand fans, you know, there's not outrage is probably too strong a word, but there's some fans questioning why the Browns aren't doing it. And, but first of all, I don't think it's that big a deal, right? When you practice without pads and without contact in May and even early June, I don't think that has a huge impact on week one. I understand that coaches want the players there and probably any practice better than no practice. Um, I just don't think it's going to be a factor when – the Browns face the Chiefs in Arrowhead Stadium to start the season. Um, but it is interesting to track. And, you know, bef- one more point on it, just this week, the newsy aspect of it, that one of the Browns players got sent home after testing positive for COVID. And then other players were identified as close contacts. I was told a couple, Lindsay Jones of The Athletic reported several Um you know, is that are we quibbling over? Is it three or four or five? Um, we're also sent home because they'd been identified as close contacts. So, you know, when you look at JC Treader, the Browns center, and the NFLPA president's argument about why they shouldn't be having these off-season voluntary workouts, especially this year. Now, JC's argument goes broader than that because he doesn't think players should be required to show up and work out for the team in the off season. He doesn't think the off season's long enough. Players train themselves and it's, he likes that setup better. But one of his points, one of the union's points is, you know, we're still in a pandemic. There's still questions about COVID and because of the vaccinations, because of the dropping COVID rates, I, I think that got pushed to the back burner, but it was, it came to the forefront again this week, just because even though they were limited workouts, players had to be sent home. So, you know, I, I, think that speaks to JC saying, Hey, we're better safe than sorry at this point. Um, so, so that's what happened for the Browns, no real OTAs. And then they had to send a few players home from what would have been, you know, really limited workouts. You know, it's a job, the NFL is
1: a job and, and Scott, the pandemic, we've seen all jobs across the country affected and employers and people finding new ways to do things, you know, do you need an office building in the downtown environment? Right. Can you work from home? Can you do things over zoom? You know, it's kind of interesting here, almost as if obviously no one wants a pandemic, but I wonder if some players are kind of like, you know, this was a bonus for us in a way, because, you know, we don't necessarily need to do the things we've done in the past.
0: That's a great point. John, And I think you crystallize it really well. That's what, was the real impetus for the movement of the NFLPA this offseason and led by JC Treder, right? He's the president, but he's also been the most vocal when talking about this subject, is they saw last year what happened when you didn't report to the offseason program in April and you didn't do OTAs in May and June, and you didn't have mandatory minicamp. Cause they didn't ha- that was not an option. So the players saw that and they felt how different their bodies reacted. And J.C. Trevor said at the end of last season, that's as good as his body's felt. He still played every snap of 16 regular season games and two postseason games, yet he said his body felt better. And he attributed to the fact that he wasn't always working out in the offseason to be in great shape to report in April because players feel that pressure to show up in perfect shape. He could take more time to himself. He could re, he, not rehab. He could train at his own pace. And he thinks that was incredibly beneficial. He says that even though OTAs are supposed to be non-contact, there's just too much contact, especially for offensive linemen. So that's one reason his body felt better. They point to injury stats that show there are fewer concussions and fewer off-season injuries. And of course there would have been fewer because they didn't practice, but If you also think they're not necessary, then you use that injury data to prove your point. And I think there is a point to be made there. So I'm not sure at this point in 2021, if we don't have the pandemic in 2020, which really showed the players, and I think probably showed some teams too, that, hey, you can survive without the players being in the building from middle of April to middle of June, because we just survived a year ago. And they can tell you and the players would argue that the product was just as good. The games were close and there was a bunch of scoring. So what's the argument to have us in the building in April, May.
1: Yeah. But you know, darn well that if the Browns lose 35 to 21 against the chiefs in the week one, people will be like, ah, see Brown should have been in the building back in uh, April and May.
0: (laughs) Yeah, you're exactly right. And you know, people make that argument. I'm just not, I'm just not buying into that. And again, I think anytime you practice, you're better off, right? I was at the driving range today. I'm, I'd like to think I'm better off the next time I play golf because I went to the driving range as opposed to staying home. So I I understand that coaching perspective. I need to understand the player perspective, but it is also a balance whether first of all, it's voluntary and that's what the players collectively bargained is it's voluntary. Number two is, when you look at the offseason in a broad scope, are you better off forcing or quote unquote forcing players to be there um, versus letting them heal their bodies? And I think it's an interesting argument. I think the fact that the Browns are meeting virtually and have since the middle of April is extremely important. I don't think I don't think the team would be well served at all to go from the end of the season in whatever, December, January, February, to end of July training camp without having, you know, met and gone over installation and gone over the playbook. That would be a terrible idea. But if you get the mental part of it, that's what's most important in the off season. And I think that's the argument that the unit is trying to make. And I think it's a valid argument. Now I think there's probably a, ha- a happy medium and a compromise to be made. And we've seen some teams compromise, um, you know, the Steelers. I-, I think the Chiefs might even compromise as far as, okay, we're going to show up, but we're going to show up for fewer days and the practices will be less intense. And I think that's a key, that maybe just maybe the coaches want the players on the field to walk through. So this is a play. We want you to see it on the field before we show up for training camp, but we're not going to hit. We're not going to go offensive lineman versus defensive lineman. We're not going to do, you know, even maybe one-on-one corners versus receivers because there's a potential for injury there. Um, you feel like you need to be in great shape. The competitive juices get flowing. So maybe the off season will morph into a whole bunch of meetings and you know a week of on-field walkthroughs and individual drills just to get the blood flowing, but it's not going to look like it has since I've been covering the team for however long I've been covering the team.
1: Yeah. I think the thing that stood out to me there was you in the golf game. Are you trying to be the next <laughs> Phil Mickelson? Are, are, well, are, you in, are you inspired by, by
0: lefty? Scott? I was really inspired by lefty. Judd. I mean, the fact that the guy's in great shape, he's eating better. He's doing all those things. Now i am not committed to that yet. Um, I'm working <laughs> on it, but it's also, hey, he talked about, you just have to work harder when you get to be 50 ish and I'm not there yet, but um you know, I also fully realize my golf game is not going to get better unless I practice. So, um, you know, it feels good when I do. You know, the, the last thing on this, because I don't want to, you know, belabor it, but I'm still not exactly sure what the next three weeks are going to look like. The Browns are going to have some type of OTAs the next two weeks. I don't know how many players are going to show up for it. I don't know how hard, you know, like how intense the practices are going to be. Are they just going to be the walkthroughs I mentioned and individual drills? Are they going to try to do some 11-on-11? Um, so I, I think that's to be determined, and I think there are likely still conversations going on between the coaching staff and the players, and I think they do get a little more complicated because of J.C. Treder's role with the team and with the union. right? I think the team, res- the organization respects J.C. They respect his opinion, and I also think the players, his teammates, are loyal to him, and I think both sides are working through that
1: way to be a professional and not let me take you off your game and sidetrack you <laughs> with the golf. And you just Judd. spun that right back in. I, I was about to take this thing to a whole new level with Tom Brady and Phil and all that. So well done.
0: Judd, I can talk, <laughs> I could talk golf all day long. I could break down off, you know, all every round I played in the last two weeks, I could talk Bryson and Brooks, um, but I'm not sure the people listening, um, Care that much, but if I find out they do, then we can change this. We can change the tone of this podcast.
1: Well, I want actually, I want to look into that the Bryson and uh, Brooks thing a little bit more. I, I, I. uh, That's pretty interesting.
0: Oh, it really is, and it's two guys that you know, two guys that won majors, um, but two guys that I feel are polarizing. And I, I watch a ton of golf, and Bryson. Like, I don't think Bryson's a bad guy. I just think he's weird, and. (laughs) And I think Brooks, and I, I think that's what Brooks was conveying in that that video that's out there now where he walks by and Brooks gives him that the evil eye And Brooks. I, I just think he's hard to warm up to. I know he's won a bunch of majors. You know, he's been the best player in the world. He almost won again Sunday in Kiowa, but I, I just find him hard to like and hard to root for. And part of that is because I don't really think he likes golf. And he said that, that, he doesn't like golf that much. He kind of doesn't because he's really good at it. And for a guy that loves golf and, you know, would give anything to be in his position, it just rubs me the wrong way that uh, <laughs> I, I don't think he, I don't think he appreciates the position he's in enough. It's kind of like, you know, who else is a little bit like that is Trevor Bauer.
1: He yeah. has told me that he's, he doesn't even, he understands baseball about it as well as anybody, but, uh, he just knows he's really good at it, so he plays. <laughs> it's, yeah, it's, it's, it's incredible.
0: Yeah, I mean, I understand that. There's probably the same. You know, they probably find doctors like that. But um, oh my gosh, right? But we're supposed to love it. I, I guess that's the point, right? We come, yeah. We you know we watch and we write about it and we talk about it because we love it. And then to find out that one of the best in the world doesn't love it, it's just a little, I don't know, unsettling, perhaps.
1: All right, I've derailed it. Let's get back on track here.
0: (laughs) My apologies. Uh, Grant Delpit,
1: you guys talked with him this week. The Browns made him available, and he says he's going to be 100% for training camp. Is that right?
0: Yeah, he said he's on track to be 100%. Um, That's always been the plan, and he feels he's right on course for it, which is great news. Um, He said he ran 18 miles an hour. He said one of the key moments in the rehab was running 18 miles an hour on a treadmill, at the end of March, he was in Florida and that kind of showed him, okay, I'm kind of back. He said, it's still, there's still pain in it. And that's kind of an end of rehab problem with it, but he expects that to go away. And that's kind of the last hurdle for him. But you know, when you talk about Delpit, he was a huge loss a year ago, right? The Browns drafted him number 44. Joe Woods, the coordinator runs a lot of stuff through his safeties in the Browns, made that abundantly clear when they signed John Johnson III to that big contract to start for agency, is how important safety is in Joe Woods' scheme. So to not have Delpit a year ago, I think, really handcuffed Woods and what he wanted to do. It forced Andrew Sandejo to play way more than the Browns wanted him to play, and we saw how that worked out. It forced Andrew bear to trade for Ronnie Harrison Jr., which wound up being a real nice move but he probably doesn't make that move without the Delpit injury. Um, so I think I'm really interested to see, first of all, if Delpit's 100% healthy when we start training camp and how he looks, right? Because you know, I only, we only saw him for you know, three weeks of training camp last year and it was kind of eased in. He got hurt August 24th. Never seen him in a game, never seen him in a preseason game, obviously, because there was no, was no preseason. Um, it's such a difficult injury. You know, if you have this late in your career, oftentimes it ends your career and we'll have to see, cause that's what happened to Olivier Vernon, right. It in the regular season finale a year ago, and he's, I want to say 31, 32 grants 22 is Vernon able to come back from it. Um, I expect Del too, because he's so young. Um, but you have to see it. And just to hear him describe it, he thought either somebody ran into him. I think he was back coming. He thought, He ran into somebody or, like, ran into a golf cart because it felt so, I guess, jarring. And then he looked around and he looked at Jacob Phillips and said, was that you? And he's like, nope. And then he knew right away. He goes, what else could it be if it's that pain, you know, kind of in your lower calf? Um, So, and then to see how Joe Woods uses him, right? You have John Johnson III, who I mentioned, Ronnie Harrison, who I mentioned, Grant Delpit. Where does he fit into that trio? And I'm sure all three will play – a good amount, but is Delpit one of your two guys, one of your two every down safeties? My expectation is yes, but you need to see him, right? You need not only see him be healthy, but you need to see how he does in life in the NFL, whether that's training camp, preseason, and then as we get into the regular season. What's what's interesting is
1: if Delpit turns out to be what, they hope he is and what they draft him for. I mean, that definitely can turn things around against guys like Lamar Jackson.
0: Oh, there's no doubt. Right. And, and you're right because he's not the typical, just center field free safety guy. Now he can do that. And that might be what he's best at, but he can also play down near the line of scrimmage. Um, And when you talk about Lamar, you talk about containing Patrick Mahomes, you talk about Josh containing Josh Allen. A lot of that is, okay, when they break the pocket, do we have guys quick enough and fast enough to keep up and to contain? And that's why safeties are so important. That's why a guy like Jeremiah Owusu-Koromoa, right, the second-round linebacker, it's all in that same idea of having guys who can play and operate in space, and there's there's nobody better in the league maybe operating in space than Lamar Jackson.
1: You just got a mailbag question the other day. You were telling me about people want to break down the depth chart and you're really fascinated with the linebackers. You just mentioned the linebackers.
0: Yeah. I haven't, I haven't answered it in the mailbag yet, but I think it's good that we can talk about this where you look at offense and there's not a whole lot of questions about the depth chart, right? I can tell you who's starting. I can tell you who's second, it's t- tight end who's second and running back, all those things on defense. It's a little cloudier and, that's given the fact that they could have nine new starters, right? Because they made so many moves on defense in this offseason, free agency and through the draft. So, you know, I assume it's going to be Miles. Well, we know it's going to be Miles Garrett. I assume it's Clowney on the, on the other end. I'm guessing Malik Jackson and Andrew Billings as your D tackles. Then you get the linebacker. And you, ha- you really have to come up with three different scenarios. When they go typical 4-3, right, base defense, the other teams in two tight end situation or two tight end personnel, who are your three linebackers? And then you go, okay, when you go standard nickel with two linebackers and whether it's three safeties or three corners. And then I think there's be plenty of time when Joe Woods goes three corners, right? They signed Troy Hill to play. So he's going to be your nickelback. And then three safeties. And that leaves... So that's six, you get your four D linemen and you get one linebacker. So, you know, I would say, I would expect Anthony Walker, who they signed in for agency from the Colts, to be that guy, to be that mainstay. He was that guy with the Colts. He was a signal caller, um, the green dot guy on the helmet. My early guess is that he would be the guy. If you go in one, two, or three, he's always on the field. If you go two, then I think you add uh, Owusu Koromoa. You know, LeBron's got him to cover. They got him to be a guy that can run with tight ends. They can run with running backs. They can blitz off the edge if they need him to do that. Then if you go to your base, Jacob Phillips gets added to that duo. Now, you know, they drafted Jacob Phillips in the third round a year ago. They really liked him. Was slowed by injuries a year ago. I don't think we got to see the full Jacob Phillips experience at all. So maybe he's a guy that becomes an every down guy instead of Anthony Walker, right? He's a big dude. Maybe it's Rusi Kormo who's the every down guy, or maybe Rusi Kormo plays in nickel and dime, but not in the base package. And they go a little bigger and it's Phillips, Walker, and Sione Takitaki. The Bronx have a lot of options there. And I didn't even mention Malcolm Smith, who they re-signed in free agency because he was so good in pass coverage in the nickel last year. You know he's a veteran, the former Super Bowl MVP. So I, I think there's so many combinations that Joe Woods can use. It's going to be fascinating to see what he does, and then really who makes the roster because there's going to be some guys that don't. Um, you know, I could see Mac Wilson. I could easily see Mac Wilson not making the team. I, could see I was just Prons. about
1: to ask you about that. Is Mac yeah. Wilson in
0: trouble? I, I think he is, Chud. I mean. This is a guy that started, I want to say, 14 or 15 games as a rookie. It was pretty good. Had huge expectations coming into last year. Outside, but internally. He, like, he thought he was going to have this bust-out year. And hurts his knee in training camp. Is really slowed. Is never himself during the season. And he wasn't an Andrew Barry draft pick. You know, you start to factor in all those things. And the moves that the Andrew Barry has made at linebacker. And I just don't see a place for Mac Wilson. Now, he could surprise me, but I think if the Browns got offered anything in a trade, they would trade Mac Wilson. And, you know, Taki Taki made strides last year, and he had a couple of big plays, you know, the Pick Six against Philly. Uh, I, I thought he might be the team's best run defender. But I also feel like the Browns want to go smaller and quicker, and he doesn't fit that mode, right? He's a bigger, a little bit of a thumper. If a team offered them a fifth-round draft pick for the former third-round pick, I think the Browns would take that in a heartbeat because I think they have enough other bodies. So it's gonna I'm really interested to see how linebacker winds up shaking out in a variety of ways. And then just to finish the depth chart, you go to safety or you go to the secondary, you know, it's gonna be Denzel Ward for sure. I would I'm giving Greg Newsom the second to edge over Greedy Williams. Um, but there'll be a competition to see who's that second starter, uh, and then it's safety, like I talked about, I, I think it'll be John Johnson the third and Grant Delpit, but Delpit needs to earn that spot over Ronnie Harrison.
1: Got some uh, quick news items to hit, right? You got yeah. salary cap bump, a change in uh, cuts with the calendar, and fans at camp, right?
0: Yeah, I, it's real quick. The cap, the the cap isn't set in stone, but the NFL and the NFLPA have talked about a ceiling of, I want to say, $208 million. And that's a huge jump from this year, which is in the 180s after the drop in revenue last year with the pandemic, right? And empty stadiums or nearly empty stadiums. So let's say the cap jumps even $20 million. First of all, that's a lot of money. Second of all, when you look at Brown specifically, we're talking about a team that's trying to sign Baker Mayfield to an extension. Nick Chubb do an extension, Denzel Ward do an extension, and there's other guys, to me, maybe a tier lower, Wyatt Teller, Ronnie Harrison. Um, and so I, I th- having an extra $20 million is huge, and as huge as you plan if you're Andrew Barry and Paul D. Podesta, okay, we can pencil in Baker at this much and Denzel at this much and Nick Chubb at this much and really set up the long-term Salary cap, and that's what those guys are really good at. And if it rises twenty million from two thousand eleven to or two thousand twenty one to two thousand twenty two, it's going to keep getting higher because that's when the new TV contracts kick in, and it's factored into the to the two thousand twenty two cap because they know there's going to be a bump, but the real bump will come after that. And, And I think that's comforting for teams with a lot of talent like the Browns have and a lot of young talent that you're going to have to figure out way ways to pay guys on extensions. Um, I I think it's good news for the Browns. How about the fans at camp?
1: So it always seems, I mean, it is just tradition that on Labor Day weekend, that's when you know, what the roster is going to look like, you know, after all those exciting preseason games. But that's going to change, huh?
0: Yeah, because there's only three preseason games, the preseason ends a week earlier. So the NFL decided they're going to have cuts almost a week earlier. So the cut down to 53 will be August 31st. It's a Tuesday. And then that 53 group, right, and we know that it gets tweaked because there's waiver claims and what have you. That 53-man group will be together then for two weeks before the season. So I think that's a chance for some cohesion to be built, some really good practices where you don't have 90 guys. You have your 53-plus practice squad that you can focus on preparing for that Chiefs game, right? That's two weeks of, at least two weeks of all eyes on the Chiefs. Um, it, it's just going to be different though, because we're so used to the NFL calendar. Um, you know, not to name drop, but I remember being at Andre, Andre Knott's wedding and I was on a phone call, a conference call with Tom Heckert talking about the cuts because Andre got married in Labor Day weekend. So it felt like there's always something going on and you're managing, you know, final cuts and you're starting your season preview stuff. And now there's a little bit of a gap there because we're missing that fourth game, fourth preseason game. Okay. Who's what, whose wedding did you say? Andre Knott
1: yeah oh, okay yeah uh oh no but you were talking about heckert right
0: oh yeah it was tom heckert yeah. when he was the but, gm
1: of the browns yeah but you're name dropping not right correct i'm
0: name dropping <laughs> yeah i'm <name-dropping. laughs> yeah. <Exactly. laughs> <I> just
1: <laughs> playing around. are those raindrops or name drops That's what. <laughs> uh, andre's great um and then fans at camp i mean that's yes. you know you're just starting to see every day a return to normalcy that that's certainly uh That's got to be great news for fans.
0: Yeah, I mean, it was just so different last year, right? I was able to get out there and cover camp. Now, it was different for us, too, because usually, I mean, you've been out there, Chud. You had access to wherever you want to go. You're inside the ropes. I could get real close to drills. And here we were cordoned off into one spot. um, And you're looking through your binoculars a lot. So hopefully that changes from a selfish perspective. But you've definitely felt the absence of fans. It just didn't have any anywhere near the intensity that you have when fans are there. So, um, you know, I I know that the NFL expects there to be attendance at training camp. They expect stadiums to be hundred percent capacity. So it's going to be interesting to see if there's any protocols in place, how close the fans can get. Do they still do autographs? You know, is there a difference between vaccinated fans and non-vaccinated fans at camp or at the stadium? But just as we're talking on, you know, we're taping this on May 27th, it's good to picture a training camp with fans there and able to see their team, especially given the excitement and expectations for this upcoming season. I got to tell you,
1: that is a point that I'm going to hammer home a lot. And people might think I'm crazy and not agree with me, but that's a sticking point I keep thinking about. You just said that it's going to make a difference. It, it makes the difference when fans are there, just the energy and all that. I, I gotta tell you, Scott, last year, it was amazing what the Browns did, but they did it in empty stadiums and they did it in stadiums that had a small capacity later in the year. You know, things are a lot different when you have full stadiums. And I just think that is something that you, and I know every team's going to have to deal with that. I do. But that's an intangible that I don't think can get lost. And, you know, people yes. might not agree with me, but I think it, it's important.
0: No, I, I think that's a good point, Judd. Right? The Browns never had to run Kevin Stefanski's offense with a silent count because there were never enough fans in the stands. And you've been out there. The, when you go on the road to a, to a noisy stadium, whether it's Baltimore or Pittsburgh or Kansas City, Denver – the Browns pipe in all this crowd noise because it takes a long time to adjust to that. And it's a huge difference. You talk about, you know, um, false start penalties and offside penalties, all those things that factor into home field advantage. So I, I think it was, you know, in air quotes easier for the Browns a year ago, and that's going to be something that they have to adjust to. Now, you know, the opponents coming into first energy, will have to adjust to, and that place will be rocking and rolling. Um, but for a young team and a young offense, I do think it benefited from not having that issue last year.
1: Yeah, I'm I'm going to bring that up quite a bit yeah. over the uh, next few months as, you know, as we continue to get ready for the season. Well, that's it for me. Uh, I hope you have a uh, great Memorial Day weekend. Something tells me you're going to find uh, a golf course or two.
0: We'll see. I don't know. I got I got some work to do over the weekend trying to see some family. But, you know, I'll be out on the links. Soon enough, Chud, and I appreciate you being able to squeeze this in. I think we covered a bunch of stuff. Um, We got sidetracked a little bit talking about golf, but I'm always good with that. So let's do this again next week. Uh, Maybe we'll have an OTA practice to talk about because hopefully we'll be able to get out there and watch one as a media and talk to some guys, and it'll feel like the off-season programs really get going. So thanks a bunch, Chud, and we'll talk to you next week on the Brown Zone Zone Coverage Podcast.